This is a Brain Bites episode. We share two quick ideas we learned this week to help you leverage your brain for a better life. And always remember, make sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a Brain Tools episode. It's time to level up your brain. Let's get cracking. It's Brain Bites 15. Sam, what did you learn this week? So this week, I rediscovered this concept of mental filtering which is cognitive distortion. But it really came through to me when I was actually making a a red tie curry from scratch. Not a green curry. You're a red tie man. Not a a red tie curry from scratch for my dad last week. And I'm pounding this curry paste. I put it in the pan, cook it up. Probably would have taken two and a half hours. (laughs) And then I realized I'd missed a couple of key ingredients in the curry paste. And I just couldn't get over it. I was furious at myself and even though it was delicious, I kept just harking on this one fact that I'd missed these ingredients and no one else noticed but me. And it kind of brings up this idea of mental filtering or this cognitive distortion where we will overly focus on the negative details in a situation and filter out the positives. It can also be called selective obstruction or as we've talked about before, negativity bias. And in these moments, I really rediscovered the power behind reframing and in particular this idea of examining the evidence it's actually one of those things that happens to us all the time as you said and the outcome might have been awesome that might have been honestly one of the best red curries ever but you cannot let go of those one two or three ingredients that are like that had to be in it it would have been so much better why isn't this as good as it should be and that's all you can think about and the same thing happens when you receive a bit of negative feedback at work even though everyone else has praised you for the last week or you have a really great game of basketball or football or soccer or whatever your sport is, and then you stuff up a couple of times at the end, that's all you can think about. And it's really just due to the way our brain filters for, for this negative information and overly prioritize it against the positive. So how does, uh, how does this whole process work then, mate? So in terms of dealing with this mental filtering and how we can overcome the, the negative distortion, we really, really need to provide our brains with evidence to the contrary. So the thing I learned this week was this really, really simple idea of examining what's true and what's not in an effort to really make those automatic thought processes, this mental filtering that happens so subconsciously under the radar instantly and bring it to light and to the table with our attention spotlight so we can really, really analyze whether or not it is true or whether it is false. So personally, I choose to physically count on my hand the positives and negatives in a situation. So after I, I had this mini curry freakout, the big curry freakout of Tuesday night, let's uh, let's claim it that. Um, <laughs> I, I actually went through and adding, on one hand I said, on one hand, I, I forgot to add the cumin seeds, the coriander seeds, and the white peppercorn. It wasn't as authentic as I wanted to. But on the other hand, dad said it was great, cooked it for him. Um, it tasted fantastic. I learned how to make it for next time. And just doing this process of examining the evidence, as it's called in cognitive behavioral therapy, allows your brain to really assess what is and isn't true, but also break up that automatic thought process. And I thought this is a really, really important idea around reframing and and brain taming in the moment by examining what is, is and isn't true when you're going through that mental filtering process. And the the usefulness of it as well, mate, would be the fact of 
like we want to enjoy the experiences that you have, right? But if in those ratios mm. of positive to negative information, you know, that's what a bias is, right? We just only looked at the select few bits of information, but not the entire picture. And you sort of can ca- caught in the weeds. So I think this is a really good way of being able, as you said, to distance yourself from those negative, I suppose, emotions that come with it and the negative information you're going to look at, but then also shift your attention towards obviously uh, the positive or the better things in that situation. So you can yep, make your precisely. red curry again. Exactly. So you can make your red curry and not beat yourself up uh, about it by simply really examining what is and isn't true and then kind of calling out that automatic thought process, which we often let run rampant. And that's what I learned this week or relearned this week, if you will. But Kieran, what did you discover this week? Yeah, my discovery is stemming from classic, a problem that I've been having for the past two weeks, which is I've been really, really struggling to sleep, mate. I've, oh, no. Um, yeah, I know. It's, it's one of those things. We do a podcast called Brain Tools. Our first episode was on sleep. If you haven't seen that, check it out. And yet the disconnect between knowing what you should do and then obviously struggling mm. with that same thing reared its head again. And so I thought I'd um, go back to basics, essentially, and go back to our first episode and look at what were the things that actually worked and then went a little bit deeper into it. And there was this word, again, that I found out, and it was actually from Hoopman Labs podcast as well, called circadian entrainment. And so we've gone through this before, but again, a reaffirming experience of you know our circadian rhythm being our 24-hour clock and entrainment essentially being the alignment of our behaviors to those oscillating patterns of our wakefulness and obviously our sleep phases. And it was so interesting going down the rabbit hole of understanding the, the relationship between this thing called circadian entrainment and the gene expression that takes place and the production of all these chemicals in this 24-hour cycle. And um, yeah, just basically relearning that because I needed to teach myself that lesson. <laughs> Kieran, did you go and listen to your own brain tools? I am a narcissist. I actually <laughs> the ego, the absolute oh, ego. Look I know, Ryan guy. Holiday, Dickets. mate. Ego is the enemy, but Dickets. it's just <laughs> it is the enemy. Uh, th- that concept of circadian entrainment is really, really interesting because what it basically is is sleep training for the brain. How does it work, and what are some examples you could maybe provide? Yeah, the working part. This is where my brain got blown, and I, I think human mm. beings, as a general of thumb, aren't very good at understanding scale. If I were to ask you, Sam, how many cells are there in the human body? Uh, a couple Just billion. Just ballpark. A lot. Billion? Apparently anywhere from 30 to 60 trillion cells. Okay. And that's a lot, wow. right? That's There's a lot, lot going that's, on. I'm, I'm off by a massive scale. And so when I talk, when I looked into this about this circadian entrainment, how it works, it's basically saying that each of these individual cells have their own 24-hour clock of when they're producing certain chemicals, when obviously there's gene expression leading to obviously mRNA and DNA and so on. But I think that's the thing that really came to be beautiful about figuring out how this works is to know that, hey, if at certain times of the day, there are going to be these peak in the gene expression and therefore these proteins, then we want to obviously make sure that our behaviors might align with them, especially if it's low or high and so on. And I think that's where these are called the clock genes, as we've spoken about before. And another really interesting fact, you know, the earth rotating, every 24 hours and our cells having a 24 hour clock. There's all these coincidences that I was like, hold on, this might be a secret. Oh my goodness. (laughs) 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 Now you're freaking me out. X-Files is coming back, baby. Um, and, And I think of how that basically then transfers is just understanding that our perception essentially is shaped by these clocks and how you leverage them, especially when it comes to sleep and obviously being awake. And so, 
what I basically took from this in terms of implementing them when I was getting really, really poor sleep was like, okay, what are the things that I need to do according to these biological clocks? So again, the tips again for sleep that we've spoken about before, viewing sunlight within 10 to 20 minutes of waking, because that's obviously going to help you reset these clock genes as we've spoken about with, you know, melatonin and so on and so forth, you know, getting artificial light across the day, you know, doing that again for 10 to 20 minutes, avoiding blue light at night, and engaging in physical activities at a regular time. And it's not saying to yourself that you must have this robust, you must do everything according to a clock. You need to have some freedom with it. But there is some benefit to having key things that you do in your day on a regular basis, those being viewing sunlight, exercise, and obviously sleep when you go to sleep and when you're awake. Mm, You've really rediscovered our episode on sleep. And Mm. I'm absolutely here for it. So effectively what you're saying is after your sleep struggles in those last couple of weeks, you went back, you relearned about the concept of circadian entrainment and, and how, how much the environment around us in terms of light and the earth actually has a role in terms of the individual cells in our body, which are timed in correspondence with, with the light and the, the earth's light cycle, so to speak. And then you went and took that information and implemented it by getting into those Brain tools for sleep. Go listen to the episode. If you haven't, practices around getting light in the morning, avoiding uh, artificial light at night, getting artificial light during the day and increasing light exposure overall. How is, how's that been for you in terms of impact? So good. Genuinely. Yeah. I'm not even just saying yeah. this to be like, I'm a used car salesman. Please uh, borrow, like buy what I'm selling. But genuinely, especially the one I think of getting up and then just literally getting out of bed looking at light first thing and then obviously mm. removing, you know, blue light, taking my phone out of my room and just seeing that the quality of my sleep, again, this is anecdotal. I'm not going to have the, the test results, but anecdotally feeling so much better when I wake up and having a much deeper sleep as well. Yeah, I would 1000% echo that because one of the things I, f- I do almost every morning is go outside and get light for about 20, 30 minutes. And since doing this, my sleep quality has skyrocketed. And it's the one, the one, the one, one habit change. So yeah, I... Can confirm. Can confirm. And those are the two things that we learned this week, Sam. And so they are. And that means uh, we'll, we'll have to see you next week. We hope you love this Brain Bites episode. If you wanted to support us, the best way is to add a screenshot of it to your Insta story or to share it in a WhatsApp group with friends or share the link to someone who you think might benefit from it. We'll see you next time.